Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhaus, and we are joined by our panelists, TJ Van Toll. Hey, everybody. And Carl Mungazi. Hey, everyone. Long time. <laughs> Welcome back, Carl. And our special guest today is Tanner Lindsley, who has been a previous guest on React Roundup. Welcome, Tanner. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So for anybody who is not as familiar with Tanner, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, why you're famous, and what we're going to talk about today on the episode. Well, let's not throw around the F word uh, <laughs> too too quickly. Uh, that's a that's a scary word. <laughs> I I am a, I'm a software engineer, and I've been building software for a long time. I think I truly became like by trade and profession a software engineer in 2008. So it's been it's been a while. Was that 12, 12 years? Anyways. Yeah. It's 2007 for me, and the, you get, it gets to the point where you don't really want to do the math. Like, you start no. to reach that point where it's, exactly. it's a little bit depressing. You're over the decade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm just an old person in tech, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it's starting to show in some areas, but that's fine. I I have been on the kind of the journey of front end since it kind of started blowing up back then. So I went through Angular, and yeah, I'm talking about actual Angular JS, not... Mm -hmm. uh, Angular 2 and went through that train. We I started a company with some friends and I'm still running that company with them today. It's called Nozzle. Nozzle.io, if anybody's curious. We are we reverse engineer Google search rankings. That's kind of a, a big tagline, but we are reverse engineering search results that people will search for on Google and turning all that into, you know, this huge database and visualizations, data exploration to try and help people understand better about why they rank where they do and why their competitors rank where they do. It's a whole thing. It's a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm really, I still love it. So uh, that's a good sign. So I've been doing that for about eight years now. And along the way, I have uh, been heavily involved in open source software since uh, we started Nozzle, because I think it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty well known that when you start a software business, like open source is your best friend. You almost feel like you're standing on the shoulders of giants to, you know, to reach your own dreams. So 
that's kind of how I got started into open source, mostly as a consumer. <laughs> or I guess I don't torrent, at least anymore. Uh, I haven't for a long time. But you know how they use the terms like leechers and cedars? Have you ever yeah. heard those terms? Yeah. I feel like I, I feel like sometimes I describe myself like in the early days of open source, I was a leecher, totally. You know, I was just like, <laughs> give me all the software and give me all the tools for free. And I love this, you know. But yeah, eventually I like I I fell prey to like the open source lure, right? Sucked me in and I started like building and sharing and and uh, kind of contributing back. So, mm-hmm. I've been doing that for 8 years and it's been wonderful. It's really come to like define a lot of my career and like a lot of my connections and and friends and everything. So, yeah. So for people who are less familiar with the open source projects that you have kind of created and started to spread around the community, do you want to give us a quick rundown? I know that there's quite a few at this point. Do you want to start from today about what's available today? Or do you want to go through like the graveyard too? <laughs> no, we should do, you're, you're at the point where you can do a greatest hits album, right? Like what's... <laughs> the most popular, um, the ones that people have really gravitated towards i guess sure the biggest one's going to be react query uh, and and it's funny because it's actually not that old i think it's only two or three years old but yeah react query is probably the most popular one and i i love it still i think it's excellent it's a it's a library to help you fetch data in react and that sounds very superficial because there's a thousand other libraries like that but I think it uh, it definitely goes the extra mile and has has some really fun design choices about it that that make it uh, easy to use. You know, I think there's a good reason that that people gravitate towards it today. So, React Query is one of them. React Table is probably the next. You know, number true number two on the track list of <laughs> the greatest hits album. It's great. Maybe not as like general use cases like React Query, but I feel like everybody's building tables and everybody wants them to be smart and act like a data grid. So I've, I've put a lot of work into React Table and React Query mainly because I, like, I need these types of tools for what I'm building at Nozzle. We are very like data heavy at Nozzle. Lots of, lots of uh, data visualization, lots of data being shuttled across the wire for better or worse. And uh, tables were a big part of that. So I needed a a grid system that was going to be robust enough to do whatever we wanted it to do. So that's uh, probably the second one there. And yeah, I'm I'm actually working on the next version of that one. I'm pretty excited about it. After that, it's kind of just like you best guess about what the other greatest hits are. I don't really know what they are, but I have like React Virtual is is a virtualized scrolling utility. React Charts, which is this kind of chartjs-esque library but for react that's a fun one still in beta it's been in beta for like two years so don't ask me about it or you can ask me but (laughs) (laughs) it's been weighing on my mind let's see i have some really random ones there's one called swimmer nobody really knows about swimmer but it's uh it needs an update for sure it's a uh it's an async task and pooling and queuing utility. So that one's kind of fun. The most recent addition, which I wouldn't say is even a greatest hit because it hasn't even been around for that long, but it's one definitely worth mentioning is React Location. And, you know, there's there's no like easy way to say it rather than React Location is a router. It is a, it's a React router competitor. 
for lack of a better way to put it. I hate throwing around <laughs> the competitor terminology in open source, but it, it is. I use it in Nozzle. I, I needed some extra features and some things that I never really found in React Router or found possible. Really kind of stretched React Router to its limits and uh, eventually just built my own. So, yeah. <laughs> Can you give us some examples <laughs> of how React Router didn't meet your needs or what what yours can do? Oh, yeah. If you go to reactlocation.tanstack.com, you can read kind of the background story about how it came to be. But a lot of it revolved around search parameters for me. So I feel like React Router really nailed nested routing and how you declare routes and, and route terminology generally. And that makes sense. It's it's in the name, React Router. It was great for that. And I think that's why it works really well for a vast majority of people who use it. But at Nozzle, particularly, we have these massive dashboards. And we have a lot of them. And every little thing on the dashboard has a knob to tweak, something to change, something to to save or, or alter or configure. And it turns out that people want to be able to, you know, make all those changes and share those links with their with their coworkers and with their friends. And one problem we were having is where where should we store all that state for every single widget? It's almost, almost like every single widget was its own app, you know, and I wanted to store it in the URL that just made a lot of sense. And that's kind of where we started bumping up against the ceiling of React Router. The the primitives that were there, it was possible to do with storing, imagine large, complex JSON objects representing the state of all these widgets being serialized in and out of the URL all the time. And uh, thinking about things like default state and also being able to you know, reduce on that state a couple of times depending on what page you're on. And there, there's a lot of different facets to to that issue because now they, if you look at the URL as just another place to store JSON, it kind of adopts all of the same state management uh, challenges that every other global state manager has, right? So think about Redux or Jotai or Zustand or any global state manager, all of the core concepts that those state managers are touting and you know using, you're going to need something like those features in the URL now as well. So that's really the biggest departure from React Router is that the search param API is first class. It's built in. It's extremely robust. Like there's there's things called search filters and route level search filters that you can manipulate the search from the route level and not from the link level. Like really, honestly, a lot of features that people probably won't care about unless they're building <laughs> these huge states that live in the URL. So mm-hmm. I'll be honest, it's it's been hard to it's been hard to find people who resonate with that because not a lot of people are doing that unless they're building some type of a game. But it, you're not keeping your game state in the URL, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's mainly just other people who have been building dashboards and mm-hmm. data exploration tools. 
Well, it's very funny that you mentioned that, actually, because I ran into this very issue on a much smaller scale uh, yesterday where TJ and I both work for the same company, which is an IoT company called Blues Wireless. And one of the things that we're doing right now is building these reference applications for users who would potentially buy our hardware and set up some device somewhere that's taking in sensor data and then put it into a web app. So one of the things that we're doing in this application is showing them charts of the data over time. And so the charts right now are defaulting to maybe a day or two worth of data, but we want to give users the opportunity to change their the amount of data that they see in the history. So it could be a day, it could be two, it could be three, it could be seven, and so on and so forth. And I hit this very issue because I was trying to figure out what is the easiest way to tell the UI that now we need to fetch data for a different amount of time than it initially loaded up because I think it defaults to maybe a day or two worth of data for these charts. So I was able to make it work with just an extra query parameter in the URL, but I have a feeling that as people take these applications, which we're just showing you know, how to get started and start to make them into much larger, more complex data driven apps, they very well might need something like this. So yeah, what a good opportunity for you to be on the show and tell us about some of these <laughs> options. Oh, yeah, you start talking about, you know, charts and like, oh, changing how much data <laughs> we're fetching. Like, oh, now you're talking, you're speaking my language. Like, this is exciting. <laughs> like, I, I actually just re like restructured and reschemed all of our, all of our widget state in the in the search. And like, I I just went through all of that, but on a big scale. And it was insane. Like, I can tell you right away all the things you're going to run into if you start, you know, if you start expanding on this. Oh, well, we can show more days. Oh, no, now we have to paginate. Oh, what if we want to change the the metric that they're looking at? Or what if we're grouping by something different? It's like all of a sudden those search parameters are going to like explode. And then, uh, and then you'll be like, what if we added another widget? that can do all of that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh no. <laughs> like, you know, it, it gets hairy really quickly. <laughs> and, and it's very different from people who are normally, it's just like, oh, I'm changing the page. And let's be honest, normally people building applications, unless it's a, unless it's like an actual website, you know, that's running some type of server side thing, people who build apps, they just shove it into use state, Right. It's like, oh, here, here's the page that you hit the next page button and it, you know, it increments the state and yay, we did it. Pagination. And then the user, you reload the page and you're back to page one, you know, and all that state is just nuked. And it's like, why? That's, that is really painful for me as a user. I hate that. So I don't, I want to give people zero excuses to like not put their state in the URL. (laughs) Anyways, that was kind of a rant, but (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, so on that, when you obviously you built that location, I mean, I think you said earlier you using water first. How did you go about saying, okay, I've built enough custom code that this now has to be my own library? And what are the steps you took to break down the problems and then the API design and how then that would be then be given to users? Like as, as somebody with a lot of packages, how do you think about that process? Yeah, a lot of it usually like. I'm not setting out saying, I'm going to build a new library and I go from scratch, right? Honestly, a lot of the time it's, 
taking existing tools and just hacking around them and and trying to shape them into something that I need until the the hack job that I have doesn't even resemble the original tool anymore. Like that happened with React Location. I was using React Router and they came out with React Router 6 beta. And I mean, it was in beta forever. And I, I understand that there were a lot of problems that they needed to solve, but I was like, I can't wait any longer. I'm shipping this to production. So I, I shipped V6 beta React Router to production. And from there, I just started writing wrappers around everything. So like one of them is, it, it was really difficult to change the route path and the search params at the same time in a functional way without knowing the entire URL and deserializing it and then reserializing it everywhere that you have a link. That was really tedious. And also you had to know about every single possible search parameter that you had in the URL all the time. You know, there was no way to just kind of say, carry these search parameters through automatically, but not these ones. So I built wrappers around like every single export from React Router. So I had my own link component. I had my own nav link component. Well, actually, full disclosure, I joined those together because I see very little reason to have separate components, but whatever. I had my own use, like use search component or use search hook, use location hook. Anything that React Router exported, I eventually had to wrap it with my own so that I could like augment the API to behave the way that I wanted it to. And eventually it came down to me needing to extend the very like internal context that React Router provides. And that's impossible. They don't they don't export those tools. And I also needed to get into the internals of how link generation actually works. Like when you give a link, you know, a, a two prop and search params and what, how does that, how does the resulting URL string get generated? I couldn't get in between those things. So really it was just like this huge wrapper, but, and it was really, it was not fun. I'm not going to lie. This, this massive wrapper, like I had to import everything from React Router, repackage it up and re-export it out of this file. <laughs> I'm totally faking my app out. I'm like, you're using my stuff, but it's actually React Router, but whatever. So that's kind of how it all started. And eventually I just, I really tried to work around it for a while. I shipped that wrapper with V6 to production for probably four to six months. And and everything worked pretty well um, until we needed more stuff on our dashboards. We needed more resilience around our widget state and dashboard state. And we just couldn't get it with that wrapper without forking React Router, which I decided not to do. But yeah, that's kind of how it all came about. Could you talk a little bit about like the the business sort of end of deciding to open source something like this? Because I think there's a lot of people that run into the same sort of problem at their work, right? Like they discover, hey, we need to use this common tool a little bit differently, or we created this thing all our own. What what would you say to encourage people to put those out, like, you know, put it on GitHub, spread the spread the word about it versus just having some internal repo that you only your company uses? What goes because obviously you spend a lot of time publishing this and that's time that could go towards nozzle towards you know, direct money making opportunities. Right. How do you sort of view the, the the value of actually putting this free tool out there and what you get out of that? Yeah, there's a lot of different facets to that. And some of that depends on my specific circumstances. Like 
I publish all of my open source stuff under my own name and my own like open source brand. That's probably not going to happen for a majority of people because you're probably working at a company. And if your company is nice enough, they might let you do that, which would be totally awesome. Because if you're going to build it and you're going to maintain it, it's going to stick with you longer than your job, probably. And being able to see beyond kind of being able to see beyond that immediate relationship, hopefully long-term relationship between a company and and an employee. Like if that employee leaves, you're stuck with this open source library and it's just going to die. Yeah. So I would rather, from a company perspective, I would rather be viewed as a company who fosters correct open source stewardship. Like if it is something that needs to live at the company, then, then do it and own it as a company. But if not, like encourage employees to become kind of their own bosses like having open source libraries so much like a business that it makes me sick sometimes but anyways i i feel like the the benefits to this are are huge kind of to what you were asking like how how do you navigate that and and for me it's an easy justification because yes i i could have I kept a lot of like the React location source code in Nozzle for the longest time because it didn't need to go out into the world yet. And I think that's pretty normal because I needed time to vet it and to use it and polish it and kind of be my own user and dog food for a little while. But eventually, I think that it's totally worth it to open to open source because we don't have a lot of employees at Nozzle. We're a very small, lean team. And I don't have 100,000 people to test my my the usability you know not write tests for me but just like tell me if it's good tell me if what i'm doing is is great when you open source you are allowing other people to kind of test your methodologies and test your apis for you know longevity and soundness and test the way that you think they're going to see things you know from a perspective that you didn't <clears throat> i already have people that are seeing things in react location that i was like well that was a stupid mistake <laughs> you know, but you can fix it and you can make your own stuff better. And in in a way, I have, I have hundreds and hundreds of contributors to all of my libraries. And in a way, I kind of think of every single person who's contributed to those libraries as contributors to Nozzle. I'm, I am outsourcing some of the most difficult thought leadership that a company needs to the public. What a better way to kind of I don't know, Darwin your way through concepts and code rather than to just put it out there. So the flip side of that, though, is that you also have a lot of projects that get support requests and like bad PRs and random issues with people with ultra specific problems and such. (laughs) Yeah. And considering you have a lot of repos, you have a decent amount of that. Do you have like what sort of workflows have you come up with? for managing that, keeping your sanity, that sort of thing? Well, I turned off GitHub notifications in my email. That's the first step. (laughs) After that, you know, I just mostly, I have a habit of just controlling when I want to open up those floodgates or not. For instance, for the last, you know, month, I have been very, very deep into some complex stuff at Nozzle. I don't have the mental bandwidth right now for open source. Luckily, I have a lot of good contributors and maintainers too, like Dominic Dorfmeister or his handles TK Dodo. He's fantastic. He he basically runs React Query now and he deserves it because he is just uber smart and a great, a great leader in open source. 
So finding people to help you as well and, and forging those kinds of relationships are very useful. But beyond that, just kind of managing when you want to make yourself open to the inevitable floodgate of open source. It's true. There's issues. There's there's pull requests that weren't even discussed. You know, there's uh, there's complaints. There's support channels. We run a Discord that just, you know, there's question after question on how can I do this? And how can I integrate your library with this super disparate tool set that we have? And it's difficult. And at the end of the day, I I think... I think one of the best things for me has just been knowing that at the end of the day, I built these tools for my startup, for Nozzle. And obviously, I want to foster good contributions and good community around those tools because I wanted to help my company. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to fake that open source is just this big charitable cause and that's that's all I want to do. And I do have a business and I do have the ends to which I need means. And so open source has has helped me do that. And I feel like everyone else using my libraries is hopefully on that same stage. They have a company they work at or they have a business they're starting and they just need it to work too. They just need the tools to help them push their product forward. So it's kind of this dual mentality of both thinking of open source as, you know, a product and we need to act like it's this business and make sure our customers are happy. But the I think the balance to that is having the ability to escape to your actual business and your actual job, knowing that if the open source thing doesn't work out, there's going to be a thousand other libraries out there that you can choose from. And if you don't merge that pull request from that one user, you might lose one user. <laughs> but it's better than losing your mind and and quitting front end and, you know, all the drama that can come from all that. So it's, it's a hard balance. It's different for everybody. And I have the hours during the day where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to sit down and just attack all these issues and fix these bugs. And, and it comes and goes. But it's like a roller coaster. You just have to enjoy the... You have to enjoy the descents. Hey, folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. You know, JD, we were talking just a second ago about empathy, and it seems like a common concept within the programming community. And yet, when we're building features for customers, a lot of times we call it done when it passes CI, deploys, and doesn't give us errors. And that really doesn't seem very empathetic when it comes to our customers because we're not looking at what they're doing. Do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at, at the end of the day, until until your code actually hits the customer, um, you don't really know if it's any good. Uh, you know, everybody uses things in so many different weird and wonderful ways. You can only really debug in production. Um, yeah, I've been there. It's old, done. Yeah. It's not done. Oh, crap. It's not done. <laughs> I got to go fix it. Now it's done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when we see things like error reports flowing into Raygun, right. you know, a lot of the time it's things where you just kind of go, oh, that was a configuration that as a developer, mm -hmm. I, I didn't think could exist, but actually here's an example. And so it's connecting that code to customer and your development team through to real users and their experiences, which to your point, builds real empathy. And the best software teams care a lot about how their customers are experiencing their software. Right. It's kind of the feedback from the app, but it's also kind of this meta feedback as we do better, we tend to get less of this 
negative input back from our customer, which really does reflect empathy. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think to your point earlier about CICD pipelines, like we've done an amazing amount of work as an industry to automate getting to prod really fast. But if you really want to go super fast, you need to close that loop with real-time feedback from prod back to the dev team. And that allows them to do things like fail forward and just do, you know, really leverage that investment in CICD and, and it can turn into a real superpower. Yep, absolutely. So I'm going to encourage you folks, yeah, set up your CICD, but then go sign up for Raygun. They'll actually give you a free trial and you can get it at raygun.com. I kind of like that way of, uh, of approaching it too, because I think back, I was involved with the jQuery project back in the day and thinking back to why I was motivated to to work on it. Well, at my work, it was a, we were hugely de- dependent on it, right? So I could actually see the value. And I, as I used the project less and less for work, my motivation to actually be involved with support or the, you know, PRs, that sort of thing was kind of proportional to that too, because if you're not directly seeing the value of your time you're putting in, then you start to, I I mean, it's just natural human, like, you know, you want to see a return on your investment. And we should talk about that return too, as well. I I don't, I don't know if you guys were going to bring this up, but I'll just draw the sting. We should talk about funding open source yeah. funding and, and sponsorship. I am a, a big fan of of all of it. And that's been one of the biggest reasons, maybe the biggest reason that I've kept doing open source. It would have been really easy. I mean, I have burnt out before. I have just gone on hiatus, like no open source, I'm done. But when, when sponsorships started to become normalized, I realized they're still kind of in that process. But you know, we, we kind of broke ground, I feel like, a few years ago. It's just been getting better, better and better for me. Like, there are companies out there that care about open source tools enough to sponsor them. And being able to augment my own income with, with you know, these kinds of sponsorships, don't let anybody, don't let anybody fool you that open source needs to be this super philanthropic adventure because <laughs> their money talks and it shouldn't be everything but it is definitely it needs to be something and without like every every month when i get some of that github money and i show it to my wife and we're like holy cow <laughs> this is so cool you know is it our main income am i going full source open to, uh, full open source you know i'm like no i'm not going to do that it's it's not enough for something like that I know it is for some people and that's great, but for me, it's not. But we look at it and we say, it's worth it to keep going. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we keep going? And so that to me is just, it's a healthy relationship with open source. Every time that I see those new companies come on and say, we love your project, we want to help you. I say, yes, that's awesome. And honestly, like the, the more people that come in and use React Query and love it and want to sponsor you know, the more I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm like, well, let's let's build this bigger. You know, I want to bring on more maintainers and I want to make sure that they're they're getting to feel what I'm feeling. So I want to sponsor them. And I think it there's definitely something there. It's not solved. It's a complex topic, I, I realize, and I've read a lot of books about it. It's just gonna be a hard landscape to navigate. But there's something there. And it's definitely helped Tanstack become more than just github.com slash Tanner Lindsley. You know, it's Tanstack is a thing because 
of that kind of support. So do you have advice for anybody who is maybe an open source creator or maintainer for how they could go about starting those sorts of conversations, you know, saying, yes, I do this because it solves a problem for me or it solves a problem in the wider community, but I don't do this because that doesn't pay the bills. So do you have any advice for people who are kind of newer to it about how to start those sorts of conversations about funding and sponsorship? Yeah, I feel like it's it's easier to be in a situation where you have the usership and the companies behind your projects already. From experience, like trying to design an open source library and and build a tool with the expectation that it's going to be this big monetary gain for you kind of can taint can taint the journey a little bit. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I feel like in the very beginning, people can usually judge you a little quickly for something like that. You know, if if, if someone you didn't know came to you on the internet and said, I have this library, it's going to be huge. I want, I want to grow it to be really big and we're going to have sponsorships. It's going to be this big thing. I think that that is a, it's a supplementary attitude to have on top of what really needs to be there is, hey, I've got this tool and it's going to solve your problems and it's going to do it well. It's going to make your life easier. Everything, all your code's going to become more stable, whatever. It is a product. People can get really caught up into the business side of it. Once you have the usership and the validation and, and the companies and the people behind a tool, I know it's kind of backwards from selling an actual product, but I think that's actually the time the best time to go and approach them. It, I think React Query had been going for maybe a year and a half, and I had just recently learned that there were companies like Target and Walmart and large organizations that were using React Query, and it only had only been out for a year. And I was like, I need to talk with these people. And I, I called them, and I thought in my head, I could, I could drill them for a sponsorship right now. But really, it just it seemed more important to talk to them about how they were using the library and if they were enjoying it and what I could do to make sure that they were using it correctly and all that kind of stuff. And with approaching things with that attitude and, you know, trying to make sure that my customers were happy naturally led to the, to the influx of funding. Yes, there were some situations where I asked, you need to ask, you know, People aren't thinking about it. And I think the biggest barrier to entry for these these types of discussions is that a lot of times the developers that you're talking to as an open source maintainer, those people do not hold the budget. They do not hold the credit card. If they do, that's great. And if they do, it's likely that they're a founder or a co-founder and maybe they're being scrappy and they don't really want to sponsor you for a ton of money right now because they're having a hard time holding on to their VC money they just raised. So it's difficult to navigate. And I've tried to I've tried to help those individuals navigate that as well. Hey, it would be great if you could approach your managers or something and and raise awareness about open source sponsorship because uh, I would love to keep this library going. I know that you really use it and enjoy it. It would really help the community and me keep it up if we could get something going. Those types of discussions have usually led to to wonderful things. So 
and honestly, wonderful relationships. I have really close, great relationships with a lot of developers and teams now that started as sponsors and now are, you know, they feel like partners almost. Like, what can we build together? So it's it's a fantastic way to to network as well. Do you have any recommendations in terms of like platforms for sponsorships? Because I feel like the last few years, there's almost been an arms race of like, well, you got like Patreon, we have like GitHub does this now directly. There's some others. Do you have like, have you experimented with a lot of those? Do you have like a recommendation for other open source projects out there? I've only used Patreon and GitHub. And I used Patreon for a little bit because it was kind of the first one that I was like, this is this is cool. Let's do this. <laughs> and And I remember like getting my first like, 50 bucks through Patreon. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever, <laughs> uh, you know, but ev- eventually I felt the scaling problem of, of Patreon and they're, they're catering to a lot more than just software developers. Eventually I moved over to GitHub and, you know, this is when GitHub was saying, Hey, we just launched sponsorships and we'll match whatever you get sponsored for the next year. I was like, oh, what? Nice. Are you joking? <laughs> so I I actually approached my existing sponsors on Patreon. I said, let's get the heck off of here. Let's go over to GitHub because one, you're going to have a better experience going through GitHub. I think it's polished. It's nice. They got Stripe and it's it just felt really good. And it's tied into GitHub, you know? So like... it. You know, it's not kind of this disparate network of Patreon as like, and PS, like they're going to double your sponsorship to me. And they're like, oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, I'll move right now. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a, that was an awesome year. <laughs> the dream was over very quickly. Uh, but but uh, but GitHub has been fantastic. They have an API that I can query for like my for my sponsorship oh, nice. data. So I'm I'm trying to integrate that into my website a little bit and, and my Discord server. There's like private channels and things that you can access. I have some private GitHub teams that when you, you know, are on a certain tier of sponsorship, you get added to those teams. And, you know, there's little repos and things that I'm working on that are like experimental or whatever. So there's some ability to have perks and whatnot through through GitHub. But mostly it's just a polished experience and it feels integrated into my workflow. So if you are an open source developer and you want to do sponsorships, I don't see why you wouldn't use GitHub unless there's some big new thing that I don't know about. <laughs> so so going back to like your, your libraries, right? Um, obviously, you are yeah. deep in the React um, community. How do you keep up with the latest changes, either API changes or maybe discussions on Twitter or on the issues about um, new features? How, how do you stay um, abreast of what's happening with the library whilst also working on Nozzle, whilst also working on your different libraries as well and, uh, and trying to juggle all of that at the same time? Yeah, this is probably going to be not the answer that people want to hear, but it's all about <laughs> Twitter. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, tweet, tweet deck, to be honest. So... I'm obviously following all the open source libraries that I care about on GitHub and staying up with the updates there, change logs, subscriptions. And uh, thankfully, React doesn't have a lot of breaking changes all the time. That there's lots of like work in progress stuff and suspense. And suspense has been very suspenseful for almost too long now. And concurrent React. So there, there's definitely a place to like discuss those uh, those things. They have working groups and the repos, but generally, I see the biggest changes that I need to kind of keep track of in the ecosystem are just 
the patterns that people are using and the the tool chains that people are preferring. It's been relatively easy for me to see a shift. And granted, you got to remember that not everybody's on Twitter. <laughs> Vast majority of developers are probably not. And whoever is on there, they're like bleeding edge, right? So like you're at the you're at the very front of that hype cycle curve and you know you're seeing a lot of iteration and a lot of opinion. But for the most part, it's easy to see things kind of come down that hype cycle and and watch things solidify into patterns and and eventually get adopted into really long-term projects, right? People like to say, oh, React Query is amazing and Redux is dead. When in reality, like there's like nine out of ten developers out there are sitting at home on their computer going, Redux isn't dead. I use it at work. And we're going to keep using it because it's too hard to migrate away from, you know, like the reality is that like the ecosystem is an iceberg and what, what you see publicly is just that tip. So it is, it's difficult, but I feel like networking outside of Twitter has helped me realize when you're running a product in a business, you, you realize that it's the old hot garbage dumpster fire code that is, you know, making you money that's doing its job and it sticks around for a lot longer than people would say on Twitter and on the bleeding edge. You know what I mean? So that's the reality of it. So that's how I stay in touch. I think it's full circle to the original question. I think Carl was, are you going to ask that question? It's like, I, I keep up with the bleeding edge by listening on Twitter to what people are talking about. And uh, I like going to conferences and networking with people. At least I did. That's hopefully <laughs> starting back up again. I'm uh, I'm going to the Remix Conf, and uh, nice. I live here in Utah. Oh. So does so does Kent, so does uh, Ryan, and uh, so they're doing it here. I'm really I'm really excited to go because I just haven't been to a conference in forever. <laughs> so yeah, but that that's how I keep up with it. For you know, there's not really a secret. Just kind of uh, just watching what people are talking about and trying to remember that the hype that sometimes the hype is real, but usually it's not. And it's the long-lived stuff. But you, you watch things go through the refiner's fire on, on Twitter and GitHub and, <laughs> and beta launches. And and it's easy to spot after a while when something's going to stick around or not. So. so speaking of your answer, you said that you look at patterns that, that develop over time. So currently speaking, what patterns are you seeing in, in React are kind of um, being seen in either projects or people talking on Twitter or blog posts, for example? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of smaller code patterns that, that develop all the time and, and been around for a while. It's I kind of compare those to seeing like uh, the very first ones were like, oh, render props were really big. So people started using render props because it's basically like hooks. <laughs> and then, uh, so that was like a big pattern explosion, if you will, seeing people develop those patterns. And then to me, maybe one that people don't realize that it is as big or isn't as big as it should be is headless UI, headless headless UI utilities, and that's why I've moved a lot of my tools to become kind of headless UI experiences. But that's a pattern that I'm seeing emerging for reasons that everybody should know about. Because coupling libraries with markup and and styles is just not a great experience in my opinion. But so there, there's that. The broader patterns that I'm seeing in the ecosystem today, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of uh, chatter about the like SPAs versus the server-side render app of Next.js and Remix. And then even talk about kind of these hybrid experiences 
I know that, is it Rich from Svelte had a talk a while back, I can't remember what it was called, talked about hybrid applications. This delicate balance of how much do we do server-side to speed up performance and ship the least amount of code to the, to the browser. Like You've got Remix and Next that are just really obsessed with that experience. And then you've got kind of this hybrid area, which seems a little unexplored, but there's there's definitely fun tools there like Astro and Svelte Kit. I guess you could kind of call Gatsby and Next in that area a little bit. And I, I live in like SPA land, honestly, quite a bit. I haven't touched like an edge site in a really long time, a site that is like meant to be cached at the CDN and so fast that it's, you know, sub millisecond page load times. I've lived in kind of uh, this application land where it's okay if we have a 400 kilobyte bundle. It's okay if we aren't, it's okay if we're code splitting everywhere. And and it's okay if uh, the experience isn't, you know, like these other sites because our target market is completely different. We we have a marketing site, but this app is just it's its own thing. You know, it doesn't it doesn't care really about SEO. It's not it's not a sales machine, it's not a marketing machine. It's it's a utility and it's the tool and the product. So, I've seen big big divisions kind of in that area. It seems like everybody that's building websites is getting sucked further and further down to these really awesome frameworks that are that are optimizing that experience. Remix and Next definitely come to mind there. And for me, I feel like there's uh, the vast majority of people are there. But for whatever reason, I, I have honestly felt a little bit kind of misunderstood, maybe, or like alone a little bit in kind of staying in my SPA camp for for Nozzle and some of the other things that I like, like an Electron app or something like that. Seems like everybody wants to talk about blazing fast CDN edge computing. And over here, I'm, I'm talking about building widgets. So, well, I mean, to your earlier point for your previous question, the SPA camp is still an absolutely enormous camp, right? It's still right. running enormous amounts of production <laughs> applications. Yeah. So, and it, it just doesn't get, it just doesn't get talked about as much, you know, and it's yeah. not as sexy, I guess, mm-hmm. as talking about some of this other stuff, but I'm still invested in it. I know because I still have a lot of, uh, I still have a lot of sponsors and clients and people I know that are building those SPA apps, and and they're like, yeah, like we're still we're still doing it this way, and we are still running into challenges and problems. I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep building tools for this group of people. It might not be the overwhelming majority of people like React Query; just everyone can use it, and it's very low level, primitive, but. I realized that a charting library and a data grid library kind of fall more into that camp. So maybe I'm the maybe I'm not the right person to ask about the pattern recognition across you know for the majority of people because I don't really feel like I fit into that to that vast majority. I, I love all those tools and I use them. I build I do build websites still, and yeah. I'm very thankful that those tools are around. But <laughs> Nozzle has kept me in in this kind of strange this strange place that I really love. So, Well, speaking of Nozzle, we're, we're coming up on our time, but I have one very random question for you. So Nozzle is a very like SEO type of tool, right? Do you have any like yeah. random, like what's one random thing that like say Google does that people might not know about related to like search or something that surprised you or <clears throat> that's just weird? First of all, Google, their HTML and how whatever they're using to build their search 
pages. Like when you go Google something and the search page comes up, yeah, that that HTML is a mess. It is. <laughs> I don't know what the heck they're using to generate all that, but it is insane, and it's changing all the time. Like there's no con- like there's very little consistency. They're changing it every hour, like every day. Like they're like A/B testing in random places across the globe, different little things. Like we'll see like little tiny new features pop up in Google on just a handful of searches and then just disappear. And (laughs) we we kind of have a system set up. Our backend engineers are really amazing. They have systems set up that we crawl everything in the HTML. And if we recognize one element out of place or that we don't recognize, it just sets off alarm bells for (laughs) Nozzle. We're like, we got to (laughs) know. And so we see Google do the randomest stuff. They've got a widget for everything. And, you know, sometimes it seems like they're just trying to like kill Wikipedia with how much information they're trying to shove into like that sidebar. And, but yeah, yeah. And it's just funny just to watch how Google has decided to, to do things. Sometimes I wonder though, if sometimes I wonder if the Google engineers know exactly what's being served up. They use a lot of machine learning. I'm definitely not an expert about any of this, but this is just kind of what I've what I've understood from my backend developers who are really smart about this. Is that like there's this huge ML thing going on with Google, and, and they're kind of saying these are the things that matter to a website. Here's kind of some criteria. Like I know my my founder CEO partner. He just told me that uh, page so page speed is t- largest contentful paint. Largest contentful paint apparently just kind of went up on Google's priorities. So I don't know when that's going to take effect or if it already has, but it's like, okay, so what do they do? They just say, okay, this is more important, but there's a bunch of machine learning around it that's just kind of understanding what people want and then trying to feed people more of what they want. I don't know. The robots are running Google now. Talk about (laughs) the biggest moving target. We are trying to make sense of this moving target <laughs> and you know what'll be really funny is someday we're going to have our own ml that is helping us <laughs> decipher google's ml and that will be a fun day robot right. arms race yeah it'll be a lot of fun the other the other funny things that aren't really like specific is i track my own keywords i track keywords for all of uh, my open source stuff and you know so i'm tracking the react query keyword and i'm tracking routing keywords and why not? Do you, just, do you think your knowledge of SEO has gotten you ahead in open source? Because I, like, I have noticed your naming scheme of your libraries, right? React location, React query. Like, they're very, like, you, you haven't been naming libraries like Spelt and Zustand and all these other things. <laughs> like, you, you get, like, these yeah. names that are very, like, conducive to things people search for, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like I did that, like, on purpose. I kind of just, that was just a branding decision that I made. I was like, but I did think about it as like, I want people to find a table. They're going to search React table, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. So why not just call it React table? And I went yeah. to NPM and React dash table is there. You know, it's, it's kind of like the same idea behind picking a website. It's like, can, how many words is it? Can you spell it without, you know, can you, can you just type it without me having to spell it to you? Just, just mm-hmm. sound easy. Those were really basic decisions that I'll be honest, I did not think were like that important. But yes, in hindsight, they really paid off. <laughs> I don't know how much of that was just being in the mindset of nozzle and SEO. There's probably a, 
part of that. But yes, like the the uh, the SEO part of it has has really been nice. There's also a downside to that because like as much as people are going to type React table, like it's hard to find exactly what they're looking for. You know? Yeah, because you get yeah conflated. Re- so I guess you could results, say yeah. if you're winning the SEO game, it's a great decision. But if you're not, <laughs> then it's <a> bad. <laughs> so yeah, I actually just found out that my tanstack.com documentation pages are beating out Stack Overflow in all of our SEO and all the nice. SEO for my keywords that I care about. And I was like, that's a good sign. You know, <laughs> when, when Stack sign. Overflow is surfacing more stuff <laughs> yeah. about your library than you are, that's a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on that point, one thing I've noticed is that when I'm looking at a library, right, and then I'm looking for a, um, let, let's say I get a Met query, for example, and I've got this issue, I'm trying to work out how to use it. Usually I would go to the library itself and the documentation, and sometimes, or most times, the docs are not really clear, or there's enough information about it. And then I'll go over to on Google, and I might find things here and there. But um, do you think that there's a gap in the market for um, open source engineers to actually maybe focus more on content, i.e. actually actually looking at people's questions in other issues, or SO, like, like you said, and writing posts about those issues that are in depth because I think over time it helps you answer questions that come up again and again as new developers come across your your, your um, tools. Absolutely. A few people come to mind that are really good at that. Kent C. Dodds, been friends for a long time. He lives here close to me and he's just, uh, he's a phenomenal blogger. He writes a blog for everything. Like when people ask him questions, he doesn't answer the questions anymore. He just pastes the link. So, He's a great example of why that why that pays off. Uh, another person, TK Dodo, he writes great blog posts about like the extended concepts around React Query, and I loved him so much. I was like, put these in the official documentation because you know let's link out to those because they're so good. So there's definitely a market for those blog posts, and I think I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be loud for you, it's, but it is loud for it's me. Actually, it's like actually pretty awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. it's no problem. No, it's so, your sound we, track, as, I, you, as you speak, you get the... Like, yeah, I was, more, we were just talking. We, we, need, we need a new theme song, so if your son's interested, I like... I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, oh, he, he'd perform for sure. He's not going to try Yeah, and you know, there's another company, too, that that reminds me of is Log Rocket. Like they, they seem to own every topic and (laughs) because they have a ton of like ghostwriting that happens and, and guest blog posts for better, or I think sometimes worse. Uh, Like I've had (laughs) some articles with Log Rocket that I just wish they would just take down. Like (laughs) there, there's an article (laughs) about React query versus SWR that's like three years old. And it pulls in so much traffic and it's outdated and they don't want to update it. <sighs> so oh, man, <laughs> it, it's a, it's a battle. Yeah. It's a battle. And those blog posts, it's like, if you're, if you're willing to keep it up to date and do a good job on like journalism and reporting them, that's a fantastic market, but you can also cause a lot of like backpedaling. Yeah, yeah. Misinformation and backpedaling <laughs> open source moves fast. Like that, you know, it's yeah. like, I'm writing this blog post because this thing has a bug and I hate this library. 
well, we could go fix that bug like tomorrow and then your blog post is irrelevant, you know? <laughs> so, I don't know. So, I think well, on the, there's, there's probably a, a bigger market for stuff on the concepts that, that don't change over time. So, maybe it might change how you implement it. But if the concept is obviously going to be the same throughout different libraries, there's probably scope to have articles that are going to depth about routing or about state management or about UI libraries as opposed to a blog about, oh, this bug on this software, on this tool, right? Because right. that, like I said, that, that, that that's definitely more, the better right? way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, I, I've seen, since I did React Query and I kind of talked about server state versus client state, that that like tagline of server state versus client state is just like everywhere now. Everybody talks about it and there's a countless blog posts about it. And I think it's great. Raise awareness and that concept will stick around for a long time. So, Well, Tanner, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. And I think we could probably go on for a couple more hours, but definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into the picks section of our show. So this is where we recommend to users shows that we like, books that we're reading, stuff that we've enjoyed using. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So I will, I will start off with a pick for this week. My pick is going to be a, a show that's been running for a while. It's called Star Trek Discovery. And my my husband and I were looking for something new to watch on TV. We found this and it's got four seasons at the moment. And it's way better than I expected it to be because I've seen some of the early Star Trek when it was very cheesy and special effects didn't really exist. And Captain Kirk was William Shatner. But this one is, I mean, they really pulled out all the stops. The CG is great. The space is really the final frontier. The Klingons look fantastic and have their own language. There's a lot there. And I think that if you if you give it a couple of episodes, you'll probably get as sucked in as I did. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and recommend that for today for something if you're looking for, for new shows that have a few seasons worth of good episodes to watch. I'm sold. Cool. <laughs> TJ, would you like to give us a pick? Yeah, I'm going to pick a platform called StreamYard. It's actually a platform I've used for quite a while now, well over a year, but I don't know if I've ever picked it on this show. It's basically a platform that allows you to live stream to places like YouTube or Twitch or whatever, but it's done entirely through a web browser. So if you've ever wanted to get into streaming but are overwhelmed by like OBS and there's a lot that goes into producing a stream it basically just gives you a browser interface for doing it it's especially good if you want to work with guests because you can just give them a link and they just join in your stream and you just get a really intuitive ui for doing that so if you've ever thought about getting into streaming it's a great like entry point into it so it'll be my pick nice 
Always good to have those easy to get started with type of interfaces. Carl, what do you have for us today? Yeah, so uh, I think I was telling you earlier before the show started that I've basically moved home. And um, as a result, I've started watching a lot of DIY videos because uh, my, my wife loves DIY. And I've also been binge watching random videos. And currently, I'm really loving watching people that have bought like old either French chateaus or old farmhouses. And they spend like a year or so doing it up. So my pick is a channel for this couple that bought a French chateau. And they're basically um, been spending the last couple of years, I think, doing up the interiors. I think the, the lady, she actually designed it on wallpaper. And that's quite quite interesting to actually watch. So yeah, if anybody likes DIY or just like, watching people restore old buildings to... Um, for you, um, definitely watch that couple's journey. It's quite, it's quite cool actually to watch. Nice. I think that I know the one that you're talking about, and it is, it's amazing what they have done with this, yeah, you know, few hundred year old place. <laughs> it's, it's really impressive. I love, I love how the channel name is "How to Renovate a Chateau," and then under it in small text it says "Without Killing Your Partner." It's, <laughs> very cool. It's a good subtitle. <laughs> nice. All right. Tanner, do you have something that you'd recommend? Yeah, I don't get to do picks very often, so I'm going to give you a couple. Let's see. I I bought an AnyCubic Mega X 3D printer. Oh, oh nice. Two, two weeks ago. That's an impressive high, name. High, rec- <laughs> high recommendations. It's a lot of fun. We watched the third season of Lost in Space on Netflix. That is a good one. And we just finished Lock and Key season two, which was also phenomenal. Those those have been fun. So those are my picks. Oh, nice. and you know, I know it's meta and super hyped and popular right now, but I've been playing with one of my brother-in-law's uh, Oculus quests. Holy cow. Those things are fun. You know, yeah. like they're, they're big hype trains, but you put that thing <laughs> on and you're like, eh, it's just VR and your mind just buys into it wholesale. And then you're just like, I I am in a different world, you know, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's crazy the way that it works. So those would be my picks. If I, if I hadn't bought my 3d printer, which I love, I would go out and my next frivolous, unnecessary purchase would be a, an Oculus Quest 2. Totally you got to put that GitHub money somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could just take all that. And <laughs> Well, those are all that you know when that happens. (laughs) (laughs) So Tanner, just to wrap it up, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, would like to find out more about the TAN stack, your libraries, getting into open source, where are the best places to reach you online? Uh, You can get to know TAN stack with tanstack.com. So that's a, that's a good place to start. If you want to talk to me, you can reach out on Twitter DMs, or you can join the TAN stack discord and DM me on there. Yeah. I, my Instagram is private. Sorry. But yeah, everything else is just Tanner Lindsley. You want to come play Xbox with me? I play Halo like every night. You can come play with me. It's just Tanner Lindsley is my gamer tag. You know, they say, don't put your name in your gamer tag. I said, forget about it. So <laughs> easy enough. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks again so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. It's been fun to be here. Thanks for thanks for chatting. This was really awesome. Absolutely. Well, we will see everybody on the next episode of React Roundup. Have a good one. Bye, everybody. See ya. See ya, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.